It's often claimed that ufology is not a science because UFO sightings don't follow any patterns or obey any rules that could be tested scientifically. But a string of sightings in the suburbs north of New York City demonstrate that UFOs are also far from random. Over several years in the early 1980s, thousands of people saw V-shaped and circular formations of lights over the Hudson Valley, many as large as football fields. The sightings came in waves, often recurring in the same few areas, and frequently on the same few days of the week. Though these patterns are difficult to explain, they suggest that there is some logic to UFO activity that may one day be explained by science. The first recorded sighting in the Hudson Valley area occurred just a few minutes before midnight on December 31, 1981. An anonymous off-duty police officer and his family saw a boomerang-shaped object drift slowly over top of their home in Kent, New York. The family could see a solid structure with roughly 15 red, green, and white lights anchored to its underside. It maintained a constant altitude of about 150 meters, moved at a gentle walking pace, and made only a faint hum. At one point, the lights went out, and three blinding white lights in the shape of a triangle appeared in their place. About five seconds later, the colored ones returned, and the object drifted out of sight. 55-year-old Edwin Hansen saw what appeared to be the same object as he was driving down Interstate 84 just moments after the family's sighting. Hansen, among others, stopped on the side of the road after spotting a boomerang-shaped formation of lights that projected a bright beam of light to the ground. It was so large that it filled the sky in front of him, and it made slow, tight circles in the air. Just as he thought he'd like to get a closer look, the object moved in his direction. He panicked as it approached, but then heard a voice in his head that instructed him not to be afraid. At the same time, the object turned away and the beam went out. Hansen said that he felt thoughts that weren't his own and believed that he had received a telepathic communication from the UFO. Many other witnesses reported similar communications in the next few years or felt that the UFO had read their minds. Nearly two months later, on February 26, 1982, Monique O'Driscoll and her daughter followed a lighted object down several miles of country road and watched it pass over their car. When it stopped to hover above a frozen lake, Monique got out of her car to watch it. The object had about 50 red, blue, and amber lights, and a large amber light in the middle. It was about 60 to 90 meters across and perfectly silent. Its underside was lined with metal beams and crisscross supports, like the underside of a bridge. Although it began to turn away, at the exact moment that she wished for it to stay, it turned back and flew towards her, then retreated when she got scared. There were several witnesses nearby who saw the same object at the exact same time, and later when it crossed over the I-84. The police in Kent and Carmel, New York, and Danbury, Connecticut, all received a flood of calls about a UFO that night. 
the sightings resumed the next spring. On the evening of March 17, 1983, a woman in Brewster, New York, saw a V-shaped object with numerous lights, all the colors of the rainbow, arranged along its wings, and one large light in the center. It then made a sharp turn and flew two doors down to the home of Dennis Sant, the deputy clerk for Putnam County. Sant had seen the object hovering over his yard earlier that night, and confessed that he felt a strong urge to look for it outside. He found it hovering over the I-84, then ran inside to get his family. As soon as he wished that he could get a closer look, it rotated in his direction, then floated towards him and stopped about 12 meters away. The object was just under 40 meters long, and more than 100 meters wide. It had many red, green, and white lights along its sides, and an amber light that swept from one end of the V to the other. As it hovered there, the lights grew to be three times as bright. Sant and his father were so close to it that they could see its dark metal surface and hear a finely tuned engine sound. The following week, on March 24th, another wave of sightings occurred, mostly in Yorktown. Many of the witnesses were Yorktown police officers, who admitted that their switchboard had been flooded with calls reporting a large boomerang-shaped UFO with red, blue, and green lights. Police in the nearby village of Newcastle received a flood of calls as well, describing an object as large as a football field. Bill Helle, a meteorologist, saw an asymmetrical V-shaped object that was about 400 meters long with six or seven lights. The object descended from about 600 to 300 meters altitude and slowed as it approached. Hella realized that the lights were all changing colors at different times, as if lit by a rotating prism within the structure. Suddenly, all the lights went out, leaving nothing in their place, as if whatever object was supporting them had simply disappeared. The lights reappeared 30 to 40 seconds later, and a few seconds after that, the object turned to the north and flew away, as the lights changed to a slime green. At the same time, people 15 miles north in Putnam County saw a smaller object exhibiting similar behaviors. It was a big night for sightings, and this time, the press caught wind. On March 26th, the Westchester Rockland Daily Item published a story on the sightings, as did the North County News, and that night, the lights returned. The publicity brought the sightings to the attention of amateur UFO investigator Philip J. Imbrogno. Imbrogno began collecting witnesses' statements with assistance from J. Allen Hynek, former consultant to U.S. Air Force Project Blue Book, and investigators from Hynek's own Center for UFO Studies. The team set up two phone lines to collect witness depositions, and shared them in local papers. They took more than 100 calls in the first 10 hours of the paper's publication, and eventually received over 300 calls about the lights on March 24th. They estimated that there were several thousand witnesses that night. 85% of the sightings occurred over an area less than 60 square kilometers in Westchester and Putnam counties along the Taconic Parkway. 
The reports describe the same type of boomerang-shaped object, usually moving between 20 to 50 kilometers per hour. Many times, the UFOs were seen to hover over bodies of water, but every sighting involved somewhat different behavior. Witnesses reported seeing the lights jump positions in the sky, disappear and reappear in place, and release self-propelled lighted objects. Some even saw lights detach from the formation and move on their own. On October 26th, a group of witnesses saw a formation of seven white lights fly overhead. The central one remained in place, but the six others began jumping around independently before reforming and flying off as one. Others saw a small red probe detach from the UFO. On October 28th, Jim Book, a biomedical engineer, saw a massive lighted boomerang-shaped object fly up and hover over the Croton Falls Reservoir. It was at least 30 meters long, with nine red lights along its sides. It began to move around the reservoir while maintaining a constant altitude of about 4.5 meters above water level. Each time that it stopped, it released a cherry red light and projected a type of screen from its underside that appeared to interact with the water. The object made no noise at all, and its lights went out every time another car passed by. The Yorktown police eventually declared that the UFOs over the Hudson Valley were nothing but a group of planes flying in formation, although they were unable to identify the culprits, and the Putnam police stated that the lights belonged to a squadron of ultralight aircraft flying in formation. However, ultralights bounce around in the breeze, and would be nearly impossible to fly in perfect formation. Also, they make an engine noise like a lawnmower that would have been perfectly audible in nearly every sighting. The Federal Aviation Administration told police on multiple occasions that the lights belonged to unspecified planes or helicopters, and later conducted an investigation of the sightings, but never shared their conclusions. The police departments in Brewster and Carmel said that an official at Stewart Air Force Base told them that the lights were planes being transferred from the base, though others at the base denied this. In April 1983, a group of private pilots buzzed the area in a V-shaped formation of planes, in an attempt to fool the locals into thinking they were seeing UFOs. But many of the witnesses that Imbrogno's team spoke with had seen these planes as well as the UFOs, and could easily tell the difference. For the next four months, people in the Hudson Valley reported seeing similar formations of planes, in what many assumed was some government effort to confuse the issue. In the midst of a flap on Halloween night 1984, a small plane landed at the Stormville Airport, where the UFO had been seen, and a state trooper apprehended him, and accused him of causing the sightings. Though the pilot denied it, and the officer never charged him, debunkers have cited the report he wrote as proof of a hoax. Public excitement over the first wave of sightings died down in the following months, However, on March 25, 1984, almost exactly a year after the big flap, another wave of sightings began, and several more occurred that summer. This time around, the shapes and behaviors of the UFOs were more varied than ever. 
Imbrogno's team received reports about flying X's, crosses, and circular formations. One cross formation was even captured on video. Several witnesses reported UFOs that hovered overhead and bathed them in beams of light. On March 25th alone, an estimated two to 300 people saw a UFO, again over the Taconic Parkway. The Carmel police had at least 20 calls and saw the UFO themselves. A lieutenant with the department said that he felt sure it wasn't a conventional aircraft. There were more sightings on March 31st and many more that summer. On June 11, 1984, a giant V-shaped formation of lights buzzed a town board meeting in Newcastle County. Several officers saw the object, and a neighboring county's airport tracked it on radar. On July 12th, and then again on July 19th and 24th, people saw circular formations of lights across Connecticut and New York State. Imbrogno and Hynek estimated that there were 5,000 witnesses on the first night alone. At least 12 of these were police officers, and one was the Danbury County Chief, Nelson Macedo. Macedo was on a fishing boat on Candlewood Lake with family and friends when they all saw a circular object rimmed with 20 to 30 multicolored lights hovering high overhead. The lights seemed to be spinning, though the object was still. When the operator shut the boat's lights off, the object's lights went out as well, and on and off again with the same effect. On July 24th, Bob Pozzuoli of Brewster, New York, captured some lights on film. Later that summer, Imbrogno and Peter Gersten, a lawyer and ufologist, decided to arrange a conference in Brewster in an effort to draw the public's attention to the recurring waves of UFOs. Reporter Andy Bloom did a story on the effort, alerting a host of regional news outlets. Over 1,500 people attended the conference on August 25th, including more than 75 reporters from the likes of the New York Times, ABC, and the Chicago Tribune. Here the investigators showed the Pozzuoli film, which was subsequently broadcast on TV news. HBO aired a special production on UFOs in 1985 and sent Pozzuoli's film to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, where a specialist was unable to identify the source of the lights. The New York State Police and the FAA were invited to present, but declined. Still, the conference caused a media splash, and the additional exposure brought new sightings to the team's attention. They learned that on two occasions in June, workers and guards at Indian Point Nuclear Reactor Complex had seen an object hover over the site, and that the facility's security systems mysteriously shut down during the encounters. There were more sightings the night after the conference, but very few after that, and sightings declined in the following years. In the midst of this decline, on March 21, 1985, Imbrogno's team finally saw a UFO for themselves. Immediately after leaving the University of Bridgeport to take part in a call-in TV show about the sightings, the team saw a circular structure ringed in lights hovering over a 15-story building, watched it turn in the sky, 
and chased it down the interstate. Heineken and Imbrogno teamed up with journalist Bob Pratt to write a book on their investigation. Heineck died in 1986, but the book was published the next year, the last work to bear his name. Although the sightings decreased in frequency after 1984, Imbrogno continued to collect reports in the Hudson Valley for years after, and the sightings continue to this day. Imbrogno's credibility took a hit when it was discovered that he had fabricated many of his supposed scientific and military credentials. Still, UFO debunkers have had remarkably little to say about the reports that he collected. Even Philip Klass, the preeminent skeptic of ufology, claimed that the Hudson Valley sightings may be the hardest ever to explain. Those who have endeavored to do so have mostly fallen back on the implausible mystery airplane theory, as Discover Magazine did in a 1984 article. In 1992, Unsolved Mysteries devoted an episode to the Hudson Valley sightings, and interviewed many of the police officers who had seen a UFO, lending credibility to their accounts. With all the reports they'd collected, Imbrogno's team noticed a few patterns in the data, and made some interesting discoveries. First, reports were remarkably consistent in their descriptions of triangular or boomerang-shaped objects, and sometimes circular ones. These kinds of objects had been reported in a number of southern states since the mid-1970s, and similar reports in the US date back at least as far as 1951. Just a few years later, in 1989 and 90, there was a wave of sightings over Belgium that involved black triangular objects that behaved much in the same way as the Hudson Valley UFOs. In 1997, a giant lighted V-shaped object buzzed the city of Phoenix, Arizona, However, not all of the witnesses in the Hudson Valley reported the same UFOs. A building inspector in Torrington, Connecticut saw a cigar-shaped craft with four windows, and the guards at the Indian Point reactor saw an object shaped like an ice cream cone. And while some insisted that there was a solid structure behind the lights, many others were certain that there wasn't. It's unclear if the discrepancies between witnesses' accounts are due to errors in observation, or if they are indicative of a wide variety of sighted objects. Sightings were heavily clustered geographically, and they fell disproportionately often on Monday, Thursday, and Sunday nights. What's more, some of the biggest nights for sightings in 1984 fell on almost the exact same days as the biggest nights from the year before. No one has been able to make sense of these curious anomalies in the data, nor have they been able to explain why there is such a concentration of sightings in the same 3,600 square kilometers of the Hudson Valley region. However, Imbrogno's team noted that some of the areas most frequently visited by UFOs contained a lot of government-owned land. This land is rich in iron ore and dotted by abandoned mines, and locals also claim to have experienced an unusual number of electrical disturbances here. Lastly, witnesses frequently claim to have had some form of telepathic exchange with the UFOs they saw. Such claims are common in UFO reports, and suggest that there is an intelligence behind the UFO phenomenon that is able to interface with the human mind directly. 
Imbrogno's team also received several reports of so-called missing time, as well as strange dreams and abduction experiences that occurred at the same time as the sightings, although the abduction phenomenon was not well understood at the time. Elsewhere, Hynek noted that such incidents of high strangeness were typical of UFO reports, and very difficult to explain. Over 30 years later, the Hudson Valley sightings of the early to mid-1980s remain some of the longest-running and most intensely studied in UFO history. Many sightings involved trained observers and multiple independent witnesses, and some were even corroborated on radar. What's more, the data that Hynek and Imbrogno collected shows that the UFO activity over the Hudson Valley followed a number of strange but discernible patterns. We can't exactly predict a UFO sighting, but we also can't say that there is no logic to the phenomenon. It may just be that we don't yet understand how that logic operates. If you like the music in this video, you can hear it and much more from our composer, Josh Chamberlain, on his SoundCloud page. Check it out. Think Anomalous is created by Jason Charbonneau. Music by Josh Chamberlain.